Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good morning, and welcome to our podcast, which will wrap up the second day of the draft and our preview for day three. I am DJ Boyer with us again. Exciting two more rounds have concluded. We're about an hour away from the start of the third installment of the NFL Draft, rounds four through seven, getting started around 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Let's quickly go through uh, kind of a team-by-team analysis, the winners and losers, and what we thought of the picks and what we can expect to see in day three. We're going to start in the AFC East, where first we have the Buffalo Bills, and of course, this was the first time we saw them on the clock. They did not make a pick during the first day. Two selections. They picked at 50th in the second round and 81st in round three. A little bit surprised, Ronald Darby, very good corner out of Florida State. Pretty good selection. Again, I think that's a wonderful value at number 50 overall. Just not the area I thought the Bills were going to target. Uh, I really thought that coming out of the gate, this was going to be a defensive tackle, maybe an offensive guard. Maybe they much talked about quarterback selection. That's where I thought maybe the Bills would go in round three. They did not. They finally did go to one of those positions we thought they'd go to first. John Miller, though, from Louisville, a little bit of a curious selection. A player that I think is going to need a little bit of time. Tremendous upper body strength, but very, very raw as a player. Finally, Dolphins, they have one selection. They go with Jordan Phillips, the talented sophomore, redshirt sophomore that had made himself draft eligible. Defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Kind of a curious selection because, again, you've got uh, Ndamukong Sue that you signed there and be playing alongside of him. It's more kind of that, that nose tackle. And, again, since they are playing in a 3-4, um, moving to a 4-3, the, the, the scheme is going to be kind of changing there in Miami. Maybe Phillips is kind of seen as one of the anchors. So he's a guy you can move to the outside or, or the inside. You kind of put him at any area on the defense. Just a little bit surprised that that was the area. But at number 52, that was a little bit lower than many people had expected. I was not as high on Phillips. I thought that that was probably even a little bit early. I, I think this is a player that came out way too early. Uh, we look at the... New England Patriots, we thought that they got tremendous value with Malcolm Brown. Again, it's very, very rare to see a team pick at number 32 and you consider them one of the winners of day one. They come away with Jordan Richards at the end of day two. Good player, not not quite sure that uh, that was the right uh, selection. And then with Chino Grissom uh, out of Oklahoma, one of the third-round selections, actually this was their compensatory pick because – uh, New England and actually traded back out a couple of extra selections. So they do get a person in Geno Grissom and with Jordan Richards. The one thing that it, it does stress is they are looking for versatility. They've got uh, Geno Grissom. You can line up in a couple different spots between defensive end, maybe linebacker. Jordan Richards this is kind of that hybrid safety slash corner, expecting to, be, expecting to be more of a corner. I'm sorry, a safety, actually uh, more of a safety in the New England scheme. But Bill Belichick, one of these coaches that I think kind of uh, values versatility more than others. So that's not surprising that he got a very versatile player there. And the fact that they got extra picks, that's a typical New England style draft. 
the Jets, following up that great pick with on Leonard Williams, they got a couple of ones that I really like. Uh, Devin Smith at 37, a lot of value. Thought of maybe he'd be a running back. But, again, when you've got a guy like Devin Smith on the board, I made mention of the fact that the Jets are looking for that vertical threat, so I'm going to stretch the field. Brandon Marshall, more of that big kind of target, uh, as well as Eric Decker, seen as more of a another big target, more of a third down, a possession type receiver. Devin Smith is kind of the nice complement to what they have going on there. Something that they were looking for in Stephen Hill when they took a flyer on him a couple years back out of the second round from Georgia Tech, and unfortunately that has not panned out. Lorenzo Malden, good linebacker out of uh, Louisville. I'm not sure he's a three-down type of guy, but as a situational type pass rusher, he's someone I think they can kind of bring along, bring along slowly and uh, really have a, a good, good return of investment there. Love what the Ravens have done. And the fact that in round two, they actually move up about three slots to jump in front of their division rival and, I'd say, hated rival in the Pittsburgh Steelers. They select Max Williams before uh, Pittsburgh had a chance to because we had talked about the fact that Pittsburgh was eventually going to be looking for, uh, I'd say, a replacement, maybe not this year. Uh, Heath Miller probably has at least one more year starting, but the eventual replacement for Heath Miller, and they get the top Tight end in the draft at number 55 in Max Williams. And if Dennis Pitta and his various in- injuries, that seems to be a pretty solid selection. Carl Davis, what a wonderful selection at number 90. Such value. Guy that you know that I've been so, so very high on. The Ravens, they just always get great value with some of these picks, and uh, they seem to have done so. Cincinnati Bengals, good for them as well. I think that Cedric Agui was... A little, again, a little bit of a reach coming off that ACL tear at number 21. But the way to do that is you solidify with a pick at number 53 with Jake Fisher. So you get two viable offensive tackle options. That way, if there is a little bit of a lingering problem or injury there, you've got Fisher and a guy that's pretty much pro-ready, a little bit smaller but very athletic and uh, can go into the open field. And with the running back attack that the Bengals have, I think they're looking for some versatile linemen. But this is a good fit. You get Tyler Croft, who I think is a much better receiver than he showed at Rutgers because he didn't have the opportunity to do so. And you cap off the night with Paul Dawson, who some people say made more plays than anyone this past year at linebacker. Uh, Well, excuse me, I'm still yawning a little bit. Such a long night and pounding this stuff out. And and the draft, it's it's taking its toll. I'm going to be uh, doing some sleeping after the draft today. But... uh, Dawson had a tremendous season, kind of came out of left field and, and won the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Had kind of a miserable combine, a little bit better in his pro day. But he winds up with the third round, and as a matter of fact, the 99th pick overall, he was the person to close the festivities. What a great, great pick for Cincinnati. Again, they finished dead last in the NFL, stacking the quarterback. They can use all the playmakers they can get at the linebacker position. Look at the Cleveland Browns. Got to give it up for Cleveland, the fact that they're not trying to make the glitz picks. They're not trying to make the splash. They're looking for some trench-type guys, and then they do take a good value pick with Duke Johnson at number 77. Even though they had selected a running back in the third round last year in Terrence West out of Towson, they had a pretty good year, as well as with uh, Isaiah Crowell out of Alabama State. They've got a couple of young backs there, but no one who's really kind of taken the lead. Um, I think more of the problems there has been scheme and the, the offensive line and kind of blocking for them. You get kind of a home run guy in, in, in Duke Johnson. Not a big fan of Nate Orchard, but that's uh, the linebacker out of Utah, but that's an area of need. 
And Xavier Cooper, I think you can bring him along slowly, especially when you're drafting Danny Shelton as well. You get a couple of Pac-12 defensive tackles. Uh, Cooper more of a penetrator. Maybe someone you can even play on the end uh, with that 3-4 uh, three, four, three, four system there. So you got to like that. Pittsburgh, not bad. Sinquez Golson looks like a prototypical nickel-type uh, cornerback. Danny Coach, you got to wonder if maybe this was a message. I think this is kind of a message picked to a player like Antonio Brown. They got Marcus Wheaton. They sat on him for a year out of Oregon State. He produced. Uh, you get uh, Martavius Bryant. Second half of the season, he came on like a house of fire, the receiver out of Clemson. But I think by taking Sammy Coates in the third round, maybe you're sending that message to Antonio Brown, like, look, we can, uh, you know, you were a sixth-round selection yourself. We can make these selections, get some wide receivers that we developed in-house, and we're able to put up some good numbers because Antonio Brown is not happy with his contract. And uh, maybe I think that's a little bit of a message pick. And as far as good wide receivers, the Houston Texans got great value with Jalen Strong in the third round. You're not only replacing a player like uh, Andre Johnson, but you're getting someone of similar size and similar stature. You put him with Bernardrick McKinney, who they moved up to get in the second round. Again, very young and very reminiscent of when D'Amico Ryans was first in the league and was very versatile. I don't think that you're going to see Bernardrick McKinney offer the same type of coverage skills that D'Amico Ryans would, but boy, is he a tackling machine. He's just a monster. He's going to gobble up anything in his area. The Indianapolis Colts, after that very curious round one, they finally go defense, and they get a couple of good players in John Smith out of Florida Atlantic. Henry Anderson, a very big late riser defensive end out of Stanford, someone who just went about his business, did everything you asked him to do, didn't put up the monster numbers, but it's just a nightmare, and there really seems to fit what the Indianapolis Colts are trying to accomplish on defense. The Jaguars made light of the fact that they've taken three players off from the SEC. They take T.J. Yeldon, they take E.J. Can, who by most accounts and by my account was the top guard available in this draft. So way to go, Jacksonville. Tennessee Titans, you take that squeaky clean guy like Marcus Mariota, and then you take a guy that is anything but squeaky clean, and Doriel Green Beckham winds up at number 40. We'd heard a little bit of criticism through our mock that having him at 41 was actually a little bit high, and uh, he only goes one pick higher than what we had anticipated. We had him going to the Rams at 41. He goes 40 to the Titans after they trade back just a little bit in the second round to land him. Jeremiah Patasi out of Utah. I, I like this offensive tackle. I've heard a little bit of criticism, but I, I think he's a good player. I think he's going to need a little bit of development. Maybe not an, maybe not an offensive tackle. Some limited mobility may cause him to be more of a guard, but I think he's going to be successful at the NFL level. Looking toward the West, or the Broncos, they take Ty Sombrello, who, again, I really liked. I like him on tape, but the more close and close and really kind of break things down, he is like D.J. Humphreys to me. He really does not have an NFL body. you really got to get him in the weight room, and I'm not quite sure he's going to make an immediate impact. Jeff Howerman, good leader in the locker room, was the leader on that national championship team in Ohio State. And, again, any kind of tight end, knows that they're coming into the league and Peyton Manning's got to be excited, gotta be excited uh, because their stats are going to be inflated and uh, they're going to make a lot of money uh, <laughs> during the course of their career. Kansas City Chiefs, say what you will about Andy Reid, but they went for the 
you know, four position, four picks in now. They have four picks in the first in the first three rounds. Maybe you don't like all the players they took, but they went right for the players that they need. Corners, interior linemen, wide receivers. Two corners, a guard, and a wide receiver off the board thus far. No secret, uh, Amy Reed is kind of following an old recipe that he used to use in Philadelphia a lot. And he really seems to be sticking to his guns on this. Oakland Raiders, they take Mario Edwards at the top of round two, which could be a good pick. you got to wonder again, are, are they planning to play him as a defensive tackle, a defensive end? We've seen his weight go about 25 to 30 pounds in fluctuation where he puts it on, takes it off. Five Walford, good to get Derek uh, Carr another, another target. Just hope that the attitude does not turn people off as it did with a lot of people during the interview process. Denzel Perriman to the Chargers, great player. Might be a situation where we've got square peg round hole. Not quite sure that's the scenario or the system. And Craig Mager uh, out of Texas State was a guy who was rising up a lot of mocks. I just don't see it. He just seems to be a, a guy that we're really going to have to develop and, and to me look like a seventh rounder at best. But he goes rather early, 84th overall to the Chargers. We go to the NFC East, and much of the talk centered around Randy Gregory. He slides number 60, the Dallas Cowboys take him. I'm giving myself partial credit here because in round one, I said the Cowboys would end up with Gregory. Right team, wrong round. Uh, I think the Cowboys are really trying to sell us on the fact that Des Bryant was a guy that they knew had all kinds of character issues. And he, he's, you know, he's had a couple incidents here or there, but he's not done anything egregious. He's, he's pretty much walked the straight and narrow since he's been in Dallas. And they didn't want that talent to pass him by. Like, they let Randy Moss pass him by. They take Bryant. Now they, they're kind of applying the same type of philosophy to the pass rush and linebacker position because they need a linebacker this year. They need some pressure off the edge. Chaz Green, that was kind of a weird pick at number 91. <clears throat> Excuse me, guy I thought was probably about a fifth or sixth rounder. Thought they would need an interior presence more than a tackle. That just uh, they must see something there. Not not buying that one. What I am buying is the New York Giants being very aggressive, moving up, taking that first pick at number 33. They are the team that actually made the swap with Tennessee, and boy, did that seem to work out with both clubs. This looks to be a win-win as the Giants move up. They get Landon Collins, kind of that in-the-box safety that's going to help against the run. You've got teams in your division again. Dallas, excuse me, may not be the same type of running attack that DeMarco Murray were not there, but we know the Eagles run the ball a bunch, even though that it's that spread offense and people say how wide open it is. It's really predicated more on the run than the pass. And the same can be said for the Redskins. Uh, when they were more successful running that uh, pistol offense with, uh, with Robert Griffin, even though it's, not not the same under Jane Gruden, Jane Gruden, but they're still trying to utilize the, the rushing attack uh, a lot. So it's good to have that uh, extra presence, that safety is kind of more of like an extra linebacker that you can put upside. And then there he is, my favorite name to say. He slid all the way to the third round, and I think it's an amazing value for Omagbi um, Adigizua, the defensive end out of UCLA. Again, very reminiscent of those Ziggy Ansaw and the who went to the Lions a few years ago after his meteoric rise with BYU. Very similar story. The Eagles, we were two for two on them. We had correctly predicted Nelson Aguilar, and we'd also predicted Eric Rowe. Now, 
Now, we had them at 52. They had to move up five spots in order to get their guy, but they do get the person they were targeting, Eric Rowe, the corner out of Utah. He can play safety as well. Chip Kelly is a lot like Bill Belichick in the fact that he likes those interchangeable parts in his secondary, people who have experience playing both corner and safety. Jordan Hicks at 84, that's a good player, player coming off of some injury history. He's got a lot of talent. It just makes me wonder how serious the Eagles are about trading Michael Kendricks because they all they kind of seem like the same player, and there doesn't seem to be a pressing need there. So not quite sure if maybe this was kind of let him learn for a year or two behind someone. I just thought that there was another area, maybe address an offensive line, maybe an offensive line pick or maybe another secondary person. It just seemed to be kind of a weird area, but no problems with the person itself. Washington Redskins, Preston Smith at number 38, great selection. Can't say that enough. That's a, a player who was really a late riser. I'd considered him at the end of the first round. I almost got him into my mock at the end of round one. Actually had him going 42 to Atlanta. He goes 38 to Washington. So it was about the, the kind of area we projected him. Matt Jones, the running back from Florida at 95. I can see him playing in a Washington system. That, uh, he's got a, a build that's a little... He's just a little bit bigger than Alfred Morris, but they're built sim- very similar. Just a, kind of a curious pick as to why they would go there, especially that early. Seems like you would get Matt Jones in round six. That was a little bit uh, curious for me. We move to the NFC North, and there's no truth to the rumor that I'm actually the Chicago GM in disguise kind of working on draft site. The reason I bring that up is because I'm three for three on Chicago Bear picks. If you look at my mock, I accurately predicted Kevin White. Round two, I said Eddie Goldman. I said they needed that defensive tackle, and that's what they did. If, if they were going to go receiver, it was going to be receiver or maybe Danny Shelton. So they still get a very good defensive tackle on Eddie Goldman in round two. Round three, I have Cronus Grossu, the center out of Oregon, exactly where they went. So, again, even though they need defense more than anything, I think they uh, – and just to, to – Dispel this rumor now. Actually, in the fourth round, that's where I had Garrett Grayson. Had the Bears going there and then defense the rest of the draft. So there you go. Grayson's already off the board. I'm not the GM. But, uh, yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, I've already said that at uh, Chicago, it's going to be a good atmosphere with them being outside today. We can't wait to see what this is going to be like. And uh, if this is the way they're going to draft when they're hosting, they may as well just put in a bid to try and make this a permanent thing because they've done a very, very good job. As well as the Detroit Lions. Getting Amir Abdullah in round two, I think the writing was on the wall was going to be a, a running back. The fact that they land a player like Lake and Tomlinson in round one, they make a trade in order to do so. Moving back five spots, they get Manny Ramirez from Denver. They score two offensive linemen, two interior linemen, Kind of a two-for-one swoop there. You kind of, that was kind of, all signs were kind of pointing to the fact that the, the Lions were going to take a running back either in round two or three. They do it in round two with Abdullah. They get a very serviceable corner in Alex Carter. That's right around the area you should have went. So that's, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, draft on day's work there. Quentin Rollins at 62, one of the most interesting prospects. He goes to the Packers, and I think this is a very, very good team for him because the Packers are devoid a lot of the big superstars in the secondary. They have a lot of, a lot of pieces there. They're very interchangeable. They've got uh, some pretty good depth, and they like you know, having a lot of people that can contribute. So I think that 
This is a situation where Rollins, who, again, has only had one year of major college football experience under his belt, was the starting point guard for Miami of Ohio. He can bring him in with a team. He can contribute on special teams right away. And he can be brought along more slowly with a team that doesn't have a, a huge void at corner. But, again, he don't really have a lot of those standout-type guys with star potential. And maybe that's something we see with Quentin Rollins as he plays the position more and more, uh, gathers more and more football knowledge. The upside is there that maybe this is a guy that is a gem that uh, was found at the, at the end of the second round. Ty Montgomery, 94th overall, more of a luxury pick. Again, Green Bay, they need receivers, probably like they need a hole in the head to say. But uh, I guess it's always good that this is the area where they got uh, – uh, there, uh, Devontae Adams last year, and he wound up being very good, especially in the playoffs. It was very, very instrumental down the stretch in getting Green Bay all the way to the NFC Championship game. So maybe they see that same type of potential in Ty Montgomery, who can also contribute as a return man. One of the teams right now I do not think is getting enough recognition for the job they've done, the Minnesota Vikings. They go out and they get Trey Wayne to number 11 in the first round, first cornerback off the board, and to me, I think that's essential. You pair him with Xavier Rhodes, who's a very good up-and-coming quarterback. And again, you're playing in a division where you're facing Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford four times a year. So when a quarter of your games are against those types of quarterbacks, beefing up your secondary as much as possible is something that I think has to be addressed by every team in the NFC Central or any team in the NFC, for that matter. But you get Wayne's the top corner, and then you get Eric Hendricks, number 45, just amazing value. This is a player that I think could have went off the board as early as 24, maybe in that Arizona, Denver, Green Bay. There were some teams at the end of that first round that really liked him. Very, very good uh, linebacker. Uh, you know, we see his, uh, his brother, Michael Kendricks, with the Eagles. And uh, Eric kind of goes in the, in the same area. Michael was a second-round pick out of Cal when he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. So the brothers kind of went in, in similar similar fashion, and Eric Hendricks, that's just a steal for the Vikings at number 45. And then they're able to land Daniel Hunter at 88, a very good player who came out of college a little bit early. He's going to need some time, but just freakish athletic ability. But what I like is not only do they get Hunter, but they actually were able to trade back on not one, but two occasions in order to get this. They get an area of need at defensive end with a, with a good young player they can groom, and they pick up some uh, picks along the way. So a great job of trading back, not only once but twice. Good job, Minnesota. And it just keeps rolling because another team who's done a very good job, one of the best drafts overall, the Atlanta Falcons. You get Jalen Collins at number 42. Tons of talent. Now, again, he only made 10 starts at the NCAA level, but he's on the field a lot for LSU. LSU is just jam-packed with fantastic, uh, just natural talent at the cornerback position. There's some people kind of question his work ethic, but you get Jalen Collins in the right situation, put all the pieces together, you've got an amazing athlete. And then you get Kevin Coleman at number 73 in the third round. With Kyle Shanahan there now, you've really got a, a person or a coordinator who kind of utilizes that space-type running attack, and that's exactly what Kevin Coleman did at Indiana. So, again, hopefully there's not a lot of questions surrounding that foot injury. Again, he's going to be ready for camp. It's just taken him a lot longer to recover from this foot injury. He had turned a few teams off, but it's not like they took him off the boards completely. I think they were just a little bit concerned 
that it's taken him a long time to recover. The recovery time has been about twice as long as what he had originally anticipated. Carolina Panthers, they get Devin Funchess out of uh, Michigan. Was was thinking that maybe we would see an offensive tackle. That's the only real beef that I have with the Carolina Panthers now. There's the tackles. I think there's going to be a run on them early during day three because there's so few quality tackles left. So I think if Carolina is able to get a tackle or two, maybe round four, round five, maybe get a couple of them to kind of shore up that offensive line, you can kind of justify this pick. If not, where you're really going to have to come back and say this is a wasted opportunity because Carolina was just atrocious. And I'm, and that's being quite honest and probably nicer than a, the real word that I would probably want to say. I don't think there was a team with worse offensive line play, not only in the NFC, but probably the NFL last year than the Panthers. Cam Newton was running for his life quite literally in many games. And just looking beat up in a number of those, those games. He was good thing he was able to put it together down the stretch, but I think Carolina really needed an offensive line pick. Now in Devin Funches, they do get a very, very tall six foot four, six foot five wide receiver slash tight end type. Now you put him with Kelvin Benjamin and you now have probably the tallest set of starting wide receivers in the NFL. So I think throwing the ball in the red zone is not going to be a problem when you've got those two as well as Greg Olson at the tight end position. New Orleans Saints, I've, I've been praising a lot of teams. Well, I'm just going to give it to the Saints because, to me, right now, they are the big loser in this draft. Just a big, fat F right now if i got to grade them. <clears throat> Again, stretching for Andres Pete and Stephon Anthony just didn't seem to make sense. They take a player like Pioli Kikaha, who, yes, he led the SBS in sacks last year, but his first two seasons were very injury-riddled, and uh, there's a lot of medical concerns there. I'm hoping for him. He's a guy that I root for. It's a good story. But at the same time, if you're going to take a player like that, that's the person you want. Uh, you don't have to do it in the second round of pick 44. This is a guy who I thought was going to be targeted early today. I would have said the early to middle stages of round four. Again, just seems to be a reach by the Saints. And then Garrett Grayson at 75. Okay, at some point we thought the Saints would go quarterback. You need an heir apparent at some point to Drew Brees. Probably a little early for Garrett Grayson. And I've even heard some people saying, you know, they want someone with arm strength. That's not Garrett Grayson's game. He's a very good quarterback. He's accurate. I think he makes good decisions. But if you're looking for a guy who's going to sling it down the field 50, 60 yards, that wasn't the quarterback to take. A little bit concerned there. D.J. Williams at 78, there were some concerns about him, uh, the DUI situation there, uh, the Florida State corner. But getting here at 78, that's actually pretty good value. That's probably the best pick I think they made of the five, and it's the last one they made. Because they do get an amazing value. And, again, uh, I think he's a better tackler than what people are giving him credit for. I think if he puts it all together, this could be a sleeper pick. And the Saints, I think they save a little face. I think because of that, maybe I was a little harsh with that F. I'm going to give him like a D now, just because I really like that P.J. Williams pick. I think there's an opportunity there that to be one of the better picks in the third round. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you take Donovan Smith at the top of round two. Like the position, Donovan Smith out of Penn State, decent player. He's just a guy who never seemed to get over the hump. When he started at Penn State, he had an amazing freshman year. We thought we were looking at a guy who was going to be a top ten pick in the draft. He was probably going to be the first or second tackle off the board. 
after his second and third season, it just never materialized. He kind of plateaued. There were some, I'd say, some rough patches where maybe he regressed a little bit, but the guy's got everything. Uh, and placement, he's improved his footwork immensely. He's gotten his body more into shape. I think the fact that he's lost a little bit of weight, he's been, uh, I would say, it wasn't the fact that he couldn't play heavier, but it's his weight seemed to fluctuate. He would kind of go up and down. So I think now he's been more consistent. He seems to be taking his conditioning more seriously. So hopefully he can put it all together because that freshman year, it just looked like we were looking at a guy who was potentially, again, going to be a top-ten pick and a franchise-type player. He never got to that level, and I think maybe that's why some people are kind of uh, poo-pooing this pick a little bit, just because he gave us a flash of brilliance as, as a youngster. He's not a bad player. I just think he kind of teased us. And if, if he were a player who, again, that was reversed, had started kind of slower, and then, bam, gave us that great year as a, as a junior, we're probably all over this pick going, wow, he's a budding superstar. But you also got to like the fact that he graduated from Penn State early. He's a guy who could have came back or even transferred, but he chose to leave, and it wasn't a big gamble for him because he already had his degree. So you got to like the fact that the Buccaneers used their second and then uh, other second-round pick on Ali Marpet, the third <laughs> Division three player out of Hobart, who, again, I, I don't, don't think people are just saying – you're going to have to sit this guy a little bit. He's a Division three player. Did you see him at the Senior Bowl? Is anyone watching what I saw? It took him a little bit of time to adjust the speed, but by the time, by the end of the week of practices and then in that game, both touchdowns that Tyler Vargas scored, the running backs are going to be converted fullback, who I think we'll see get drafted today out of Yale. He followed Marpet in the end zone on both plays, and it wasn't like it was just a little hole. Marpet was opening something that a semi probably could have run, driven through. This is a guy who... Maybe maybe players were just a little guilty of maybe underestimating him, going, oh, this is a Division Three guy, kind of like a pity pick. You know pity here. Only Market can play. I think that he's not going to need as much time as people are thinking. I think just because they see Division Three player attached to him, that they think it's going to take him a, a ton of time to be NFL ready. That's not the pick. Or that's not the case. And I think you really got to like the Buccaneers, the fact that they take that player in Jameis Winston – and then they used two offensive line picks to kind of short up. Uh, couldn't, couldn't like that more. And I'm already saying Charles Sims, I think, could be a sleeper this year. Could be a very good running back in that attack. Love what the Buccaneers are doing. They're making the playoffs. Mark it down now. Brings us to the West, our very last uh, division to go over. The Arizona Cardinals, of course, I was all over them. I did not like the D.J. Humphreys pick. Marcus Golden, again, second pick. I'm like, what are the Cardinals doing? This is a team that's done so well in years past. They take a player like Golden, who he's on the other side of Shane Ray, who you think he'd be able to take advantage of the fact that he would be uh, – Ray would get double teamed a lot more. There'd be a lot more tight end help to his side. And he's a good player. He's got a good motor, good first step, but smaller arms, small hands, doesn't have the long-term – type of speed and the fact that he's going to struggle in coverage, I just he's definitely not a three-down type of player. I think that he's a guy that is going to offer a team. But to me, I'm looking, do you take him at the end of the second round? Absolutely not. To me, this is a fifth-round talent. It's a reach. It was way too early. That being said, then in the third round, boom, they knock it out of the park with David Johnson, the running back out of northern Iowa, converted wide receiver. This guy's 6'1", 225. 
that put up over 200 yards receiving against two FBS schools, uh, and he took it to some very good schools. Uh, this is a guy who I think, you know, again, started as a wide receiver, very capable running back. I think he can kind of be in between. You can see him as that H-back type, maybe even line him up as a kind of a faux tight end in a couple of sets. I think he's very versatile. I think with Stephon Taylor, excuse me, Arizona can do some exciting things as far as um, actually lining them up and some, some very interesting packages they can run out in the field. I kind of like that. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, Jakirski Tart, we had officially said that he would be the first non-FBS player off the board. I had him as the top player in round three to Tampa. He goes a little bit earlier. He goes in the middle of round two, 46th overall to San Francisco. Good player, but, boy, they're really stockpiling safeties there. Got a a young player in Eric Reed who could be the best safety in the NFC now. Yeah, I said it. I, I think he's, he's that good in, in only his third year. Took a player, Jimmy Ward, in the first round last year. It just seems to be a a lot of uh, a lot of safeties there. Unless maybe San Francisco is planning to use a little more uh, press coverage, or maybe bring one of those guys up to to be like a slot type cornerback. Uh, that's a lot uh, to actually be investing in your safety position. But what a value getting Eli Harold from Virginia, defensive end slash linebacker. I wasn't as high on Harold, but even though I did have him in my first round, I had him 31st to the Saints. seemed like he was flying up a lot of boards. But this is the area where I thought he would go. I thought he was more of a third-round player. So to take him now, I don't have a problem with it. It is tremendous value, and and the Niners need as much help in the front seven as possible. And you look at the Seahawks. They wait until 63. They're the last team to actually make their first selection. Because, of course, they give away their first-round pick to get Jimmy Graham. They're going to take Frank Clark, 63. Good player. Again, do you have to take him in the second round? I don't think so. You're talking about a guy who was dismissed from the University of Michigan, had a domestic violence charge hanging over his head, and we all know that's uh, not the greatest thing to have going on in the NFL after the days of um, uh, the Ray Rice situation and Greg Hardy and Ray McDonald and some of the other situations we've seen in recent months or years. That's that's not a good thing to hang hanging over your head. And he's a guy that can contribute and play. I just thought that was a little bit early. And Tyler Lockett in 69, the beginning of round three, good player. But, boy, they give up a lot to really get him. Now, again, the Seahawks only had seven touchdown catches from a wide receiver last year. Lockett's a little bit undersized, but he may be the best return man in this draft. He is a great returner. He probably use him more on punts, but he can be a kickoff returner as well. And uh, you're talking about a guy, a guy uh, you know, Aaron Lockett, of course, uh, his uncle there. So we've got a little bit of NFL lines and lineage. Had a very productive career at Kansas State. And I like the fact that he seemed to step up big in big games. Of course, that bowl game performance against USC, or UCLA, I'm sorry, may have been the bowl performance of the season from a wide receiver. He was just dominant. And uh, he, was, he was making it look effortless was the thing. So... Just gave up a lot to get him. Uh, Seattle gave up, I think, three picks to move up in order to get him. Bring us to the Rams. Last team we're going to talk about, of course, they shocked a lot of people with Todd Gurley. They had some pretty good picks here. I wouldn't say they set the world on fire, but Rob Hanstein, a little bit earlier than, than what we thought. Big alignment out of Wisconsin. Jamon Brown, that's really a project. But uh, I do like 
the fact that he's made some strides and I think he's going to eventually succeed might be more of a guard than an offensive tackle. And then you go out and take Sean Mannion at number 89. Why not make it a little bit interesting? You've traded Stan Bradford away. You bring Nick Foles into the fold, who was a third-round pick himself, and you get Sean Mannion, who, <clears throat> excuse me, I think a lot of people wrote off because he had a down senior year. He's another guy, uh, kind of like the Donovan Smith situation I talked about before. Sean Mannion, when you look over his career, has been tremendous. He's a guy who started for three of his four years and saw action in the fourth. But uh, a lot of the pieces kind of went away, not having Brandon Cooks. Things got off to a bad start. They they a little more time with the running game. Changed things up on him a little bit as a senior, so he didn't put up the big numbers. But 6'5", he's got the he's got the NFL look to him. From a mechanic standpoint, it's there. Uh, and I think between the years, per se, he seems to have grown a lot and kind of taken away the bad throws. So I think it's a good situation for him. Eventually, he could be the starter. It's, there's not a lot of risk there. If Nick folds or doesn't work out or if there's an injury, if something happens, uh, Mannion's a guy that you can groom, maybe being a starter one day or a very valuable NFL backup. So what are we going to see today? We're only about a half an hour away. Well, uh, you know, just going to look at some of the positions and some of the players that are still out there, people that we could see. Of course, Bryce Petty and Brett Hundley, those are some quarterbacks that a lot of people are surprised are still on the board. I was a little bit surprised that Hundley's still there, even though I, I don't really like him per se. Enough teams do that I thought he'd be gone by the second round. Um, Brian Bennett. Of course, I've got a big thing for Shane Carden, Jake Waters, some of the quarterbacks I'd like to have some people to keep an eye on. Jerry Lovelock out of Prairie View A&M. That's my small school guy that I love. 245 pounds, got that Dante Culpepper build. I think he could wind up being the best small schooler here. Uh, maybe a team like Baltimore, the Ravens, looking for a backup. He is from Baltimore. So if, if the Ravens are looking for kind of that quarterback to groom in the very, very late rounds, look for them to make a play for Jerry Lovelock. A lot of quality running backs still out there. Uh, 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 I think uh, Jaye has, of course, some injury concerns, bad ACL tear early in his career, and I think there are some teams worried. Uh, there's not a lot of insulation, per se. I believe there's some bone-on-bone action going on, and I think that is turning a couple of teams kind of south. But a very, very good runner. I think you're going to be able to get get some good production out of, a, out of a Jaya. I'm not as high on David Cobb, but he's still on the board. Buck Allen, I think, is the guy that could wind up being the best pro out of the bunch that's still left. <clears throat> but we're seeing players like Mike Davis, Cameron Artis Payne. Uh, you've got Jolston Fowler, the big fullback. He's still out there as well. So there is definitely, definitely a lot of big-name talent, people that can start at the NFL level that are still available at the running back spot. Rashad Green, probably the biggest surprise to me, wide receiver that's still on the board. Of course, we have Justin Hardy. Uh, Stephon Diggs was all the talent in the world. Tony Lippett out of Michigan State. Small school players like Desmond Lewis uh, out of Central Arkansas. Trey McBride out of William & Mary. Guys that we're probably going to see go today. I really like Deontay Greenberry out of Houston. He's fallen on a lot of boards. But uh, I really like him. Josh Harper out of Fresno State. Again, we saw what Devontae Adams was able to do. Fresno State's turned out some pretty good pro talent. So even though they're not from a, quote, power conference, 
uh, Fresno State, and they've got some players today, especially from the defensive side of the ball, that I think are going to offer some some talent and some uh, good play to the teams that select them. Of course, it's a down year for tight ends, but there's some good ones available. Jesse James, the guy who declared early out of Penn State. Michael Pruitt out of Southern Illinois. Ben Koyak out of Notre Dame. Let's look for Nick Boyle. Nick Boyle uh, out of out of Delaware and Eric Tomlinson out of Texas uh, UTEP, Texas El Paso. Probably the two best blocking tight ends in this draft, as well as Connor Hamlet. Talked about him a little bit. He was with Sean uh, Sean Mannion there at Oregon State. Probably the three best blocking tight ends. They can all catch a little bit as well. Blake Bell, the Belldozer out of Oklahoma, converted quarterback. Nick O'Leary, Casey Pierce out of Kent State. There's a lot of E.J. Bibbs out of Iowa State. A lot of, lot of big names at tight end. Offensive tackle, again, it's getting slim. So I expect a run on offensive tackles very early. If it doesn't happen right out of the gate in round four, expect it by the beginning to mid-stages of round five. I think teams are really going to have to take offensive tackles earlier than what they wanted that to looking back to kind of being uh, picks near the back end. I just don't think the players are going to be there. So look for tackles to go off the board quickly. Guards, number of very good guards. Uh, Josue Matias out of Florida State. You still have Ari Quanjo out of Alabama still on the board. Uh, a player like Shaquille Mason, a converted guard who looks like he'll be a center out of Georgia Tech. Uh, we're also seeing a Jamil Douglas out of Arizona State. Plenty of interior linemen that are going to be NFL caliber, possible starter, starting quality in a few years are available. Trey Flowers and Zadaria Smith out of Arkansas and Kentucky, respectively. Probably the two biggest names still left at defensive end, so some good SEC pro- prospects there. Zach Wegeman, good small schooler. Brock Hecking out of Nevada. Uh, a player like Ryan Russell out of Purdue, there's still some good defensive ends. Uh, Grady Jarrett, the undersized defensive tackle out of Clemson, is probably the biggest name in the middle. I talked about some Fresno State players. Tyler Davison is one very, very productive defensive tackle. Look for him in another conference, Travis Rafiti out of San Jose State. Uh, Marcus Hardison out of Arizona State. Small schooler like Derek Lott. Uh, out of uh, Tennessee, Chattanooga. And another guy that I really like, Christian Covington, who had some problems with injuries his last year, but I thought he was first-round talent had he been healthy this year. And again, remember his father, that's a CFL Hall of Famer right there. So, again, the lineage is there. Christian Covington out of Rice, another good player. Corners, not as many. I think Doran Grant out of Ohio State. Lorenzo Doss out of, uh, out of Tulane. Of course, the guy, like I've been saying, Jacoby Glenn. Take him now. Uh, doesn't have the top-notch speed, and I thought that would push him to round three, but he didn't get picked in round three, so it looks like round four. Uh, Central Florida, very, very good player. Uh, we still see Charles Gaines from Louisville out there. Actually, the, the whole Louisville secondary, you put them with uh, James Sample and Gerard Holloman, the, the safeties. Uh, we're going to see three good Louisville um, secondary players all go off the board today. Donald Seliscar out of uh, Central Michigan. Um, uh, Damian Swan out of Georgia. Quandre Diggs out of Texas. Again, quality uh, Kevin, the other Kevin White out of TCU. Uh, some good corners out there, as well as probably the best small schooler, uh, Ty, Ty, uh, Ty Hill out of uh, Towson. Uh, 
Deontay Sumner out at uh, Tennessee State, so there's some good small school talent at the cornerback position as well. I'm on Claiborne, Northwestern State. Better stop before I keep rattling them off. Safety, we still see uh, we see a player like Cody Pruitt out of uh, Ole Miss. Uh, again, talking about Fresno State, Deron Smith. I think injuries derailed his senior year a bit. A good player out of Fresno State. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a player like Ibrahim Campbell. Uh, some injuries have kept him down the board a little bit, but I, I predicted him to be a fourth-round pick. I think he'll be off the board early today. Ibrahim Campbell, a very good prospect on Northwestern. Uh, I was very high again, another Tennessee State player, one of the better small school uh, uh, schools out there, a player like Daniel Fitzpatrick, I think goes at some point. Another good small schooler, it's it. small school safety. I think that was the position where we saw more good small schoolers than any anywhere else. Dean Marlowe out of out of uh, James Madison, another good one. Kevin McDonald, UCLA transfer who wound up at Eastern Washington. Um, a player like Quinton Davis was a very good linebacker at Coastal Carolina. I think he'll have to make the transition to safety at the NFL level. I think he also offers uh, some uh, some good minutes and some good time and can turn into a a viable prospect for an NFL team. And I think we're only going to see one special teams player off the board. You've got to end with kickers and punters, right? The only one I think we're going to see drafted, Kyle Loomis, the punter out of Portland State. There's a couple other. uh, Kyle Brimstow, actually, out of uh, Notre Dame, has been kind of impressive. Didn't always have the best stats. But I think he really put on a kicking clinic, especially at his pro day. A number of teams seem to be very interested. So if a kicker does go, I'd say go there. Maybe Jeremiah Trotter out of uh, Toledo, probably the best kicking prospects. It's, it's a bad year for kickers. I think we're going to see maybe three kickers get drafted next year. Not a lot this year. Punters are better this year. But Kyle Loomis, and he could go in the sixth round, probably the seventh round. But I think uh, Kyle Loomis, the only guy that I think gets drafted again out of Portland State. So we're only about 20 minutes away from having this start. Again, we will be blogging. We'll be live. We'll be doing everything we had done yesterday. So get ready for it all. I'll get this posted. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.